with us. I'm glad to be here with you, and I'm thankful for the shade. And uh, go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 today, we're going to get through uh, all the way through verse 21. And today's message is entitled, For God So Loved the World. You know, last time we finished up John chapter 2, and I think at this point as we're getting through the Gospel of John, we've really begun to see how Jesus is getting more and more notice. Uh, People are beginning to recognize him and seek him out. In John chapter 1, we read how John the Baptist testified of Jesus, and he said of Jesus that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus then performed his first public sign in John chapter 2, where he turned the water into wine. And then also in John chapter 2, we read last week how Jesus went into the temple in Jerusalem during the time of Passover. And because of the market that was set up there, because of the corruption that was occurring where the people there had turned the opportunity for prayer and worship into an opportunity to make a profit as they ripped people off by selling lambs and transferring money. And so Jesus made the whip of cords and he drove out the marketplace from within the temple. And then Jesus was asked by the people, they said, how do you have the authority to do this? Who gives you that authority? And Jesus said in John chapter 2, verse 19, he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Obviously, Jesus was speaking of his body and his resurrection. And then John 2 ends in mentioning how Jesus performed many other miracles while he was there during the time of Passover in Jerusalem. And many people believed in his name. And yet we read how many of the people, they believed in Jesus because they liked what he was doing. They believed in him as a miracle worker, as a healer, but not as their savior. It wasn't a genuine faith. However, it's clear to me that through all these big events that we've read about already in the Gospel of John, Jesus has been noticed. He's got some attention, so much so to cause one man to meet with him at night. And so we pick up in John chapter 3, in verses 1 through 8, a Pharisee seeks out Jesus. Verse 1 says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews. Now, usually the Pharisees were the guys that were so focused on their own added laws to care about Jesus or to notice Jesus. They were too focused on their own works to recognize Jesus' work, too focused on their self-righteousness to recognize the only one who is righteous. It was the Pharisees who would later arrest Jesus put him on a a fake trial with false accusations, and then crucify him and lead the crowd to condemn him to death. And yet here is Nicodemus, a Pharisee whom Jesus calls later the teacher of Israel, a Pharisee who is a member of the Sanhedrin, which is like the Supreme Court for the Jews, a Pharisee who was called a ruler of the Jews. And in verse 2 it says, This man came to Jesus by night. And said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. 
Now, I want to remind us here that when John wrote his gospel, he did not put in chapters and verse numbers. You see, we added those in much later so that I can tell you a specific chapter and verse and you can turn to it. But John didn't put those in. And so sometimes when we read our Bibles, we see the chapter ends and we think, oh, okay, new chapter, let's turn the page and forget what we've read. And yet those chapter breaks weren't there originally. And so at the end of chapter 2, as Jesus did the miracles and many people believed in him, I believe Nicodemus was one of those. He saw the miracles that Jesus was doing. But unlike the rest of the crowds, Nicodemus wanted more. He seeks Jesus out and he says, I see you do the miracles. I know that you've come from God, but I want to know more. I want to understand who you are more. And so he came to meet Jesus at night. And verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter or cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, Nicodemus, he was a Jew, a descendant of Abraham. And yet Jesus says, that doesn't get you to heaven. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, strictly following the law, trying to do more good than bad. And yet Jesus says, that doesn't get you to heaven. Nicodemus believed that Jesus was a powerful teacher sent by God, able to do miraculous things. And yet Jesus says, that belief doesn't get you to heaven. Jesus says, you must be born again. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? You see, Nicodemus, he was thinking all physical that doesn't quite make sense, Jesus. I don't think that's going to work. And Jesus says, no, no, that's not what we're talking about here. Verse 5, Jesus answered and he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. There are many ideas about exactly what Jesus is referring to here when he says one must be born of water. But there's at least one thing that's very clear Jesus is not saying. One thing Jesus is not saying is he's not saying we need to be baptized in order to go to heaven. He does command us to be baptized. Just as he commands us to turn away from our flesh and to stop living for ourselves and to live for him. But those are all works that we do as a result of already being saved. You see, we're saved by grace, not by our own works. And so it's not baptism that he's talking about. When Jesus says we must be born of water and the Spirit, I think Jesus is simply answering Nicodemus' question about what do you mean born again? Surely it's not physically born again. And Jesus is saying no. But obviously when I say born again, it means a second birth. We need to be born a second time. One physical birth and one spiritual birth. See, the first birth is when we're born of water, when we're physically born. Our mother's water breaks and then we come forth. The second birth, being born again, is to be born of the Spirit. It's a spiritual birth. Jesus continues this idea in the next verse, in verse 6. Jesus says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So Jesus again explains there's two births, one physical, one spiritual, one of the flesh, one of the spirit. 
You see, everybody has had a physical birth. We've all been born of water, but only some people have been born of the Spirit. Only some people have been born again. If you look at your note sheet there, I've got one of the notes there that says, the moment we turn to Jesus, believing in Him for salvation and surrendering our life to Him, we are spiritually born again. The moment you put your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that is the moment that you are born again. It's not something physical that we feel, not something physical that we can see, but that's when we're born again. And up until that point, we are spiritually dead. Our hearts might be beating, we might have some activity in our brain waves, and yet, if we've not been born again, then spiritually we're dead. We're dead men or dead women walking. Now, just as the Bible says there are two births, one physical, one spiritual, the Bible also talks about two deaths, one physical and one spiritual. We read in Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, it says, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You see, when someone dies physically, their heart stops beating, that's the first death. But when, at the end of all things, those who have never put their faith in Jesus, they're sent to hell, that's spiritual death. In a sense, that's the nail in the coffin of the spiritual death, because spiritually we're already dead until we put our faith in Jesus. But while we're still alive, we have that chance. We have that opportunity to turn to the Lord as our Savior and receive Him and become born again, become born spiritually. And so we all have two options. We can be born once and die twice, or we can be born twice and die only once. Because if we're born again, though we may die physically, we'll never die spiritually. We'll be with the Lord forever in heaven. And so we must ask ourselves, have I been born again? Have I been born again? Then what it comes down to is, have you asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? Are you trusting in His work alone to get you to heaven? Not, I believe in Jesus and I go to church. I believe in Jesus and I do a lot of good works. I believe in Jesus and I don't do those sins that those other people do. It's not and anything. It's just believe in Jesus. That's the gospel. And Jesus' next point here, asking if we have been born again, he says in verse 8, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. You see, we cannot see the wind, but we can see the effects of the wind. As we see the tarps up here floating in the wind, we see the effects of the wind, but we don't see the wind itself. And so, too, we cannot see the Holy Spirit, but we can see the effects that He has on our hearts, on our lives. You see, when we are born again, our lives do not stay the same. If you know that you've been born again, you've put your faith in Jesus, then you can look at your life and you can see, look at what you've done, Lord. Look at how you've changed me. Look at how you've changed my heart. And as the Holy Spirit continues to work on us, He makes us more and more like Himself. But I want to be very clear. 
This change takes place as a result of being born again, not as a prerequisite. When we are born again, born of the Spirit, God fulfills his promise to us that he gave in Ezekiel chapter 36. Starting in verse 25, it says, God is speaking here, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. This verse speaks of God's cleansing of our sin. As he took our sin upon himself on the cross, he cleanses us from all uncleanness. And then he continues in Ezekiel 36, verse 26. God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. You see, the Holy Spirit comes into us when we put our faith in Him, and it fulfills this promise here. As the Spirit comes inside of us, and the Spirit is the one that makes us walk according to Him, no longer according to our own desires. It's the Spirit that does that work, and it speaks of the regeneration, of how God makes us new, so that we can better represent Him to the world. God does all the work. All we do is receive the gift by believing in him. Now look with me in verses 9 through 21. We read about the gift of eternal life. Verse 9, Nicodemus answered. He's been listening to Jesus explain these truths about being born again. And verse 9, Nicodemus says, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel? And do not know these things? You see, Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a teacher, a leader of the Jews, he was confused. He didn't understand the idea of being born again, being born of the Spirit. And Jesus says, you should know this, because you should know the promise of the new covenant that we just read about in Ezekiel chapter 36. You should know about the new covenant where the Spirit will come and do this work. Verse 11, Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, We speak of what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? In other words, Jesus is saying here, these are just the basics. If you don't understand the basics, then how are you going to understand the deep things of the Lord, understand the deep spiritual truths? And to me, I believe that's still true today. You see, we're saved by grace alone, not by our own works. But if somebody still insists on, rep, on, on talking to the Lord based on their works, based on their own righteousness, they don't understand the need to be born again and just surrender to Jesus, then they don't understand the basics. And therefore, they're not going to understand the deeper spiritual truths about God. Jesus continues in verse 13. He says, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who was in heaven. Jesus is saying, nobody else can explain these things, these heavenly truths, better than me, because I'm the Son of Man, because I'm the Son of God, because I've come down from heaven to this earth. 
to speak to you, to teach you these things. Remember in John chapter 1, verse 1, where it said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word is Jesus. And so Jesus is saying, Trust me, I know better. And so verse 14, Jesus says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now this is referring to a portion of history for Israel. Nicodemus would have known it well. He would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about. But for some of us, we might, we might be rusty on our history of Israel. And so after Israel was rescued out of Egypt and they were wandering in the wilderness, you may recall how God was providing for them manna from heaven, the bread from heaven. Every morning they'd go out and pick up all the Pop-Tarts on the ground and they'd eat. And yet there came a day where the Israelites were sick of it. They didn't like their life. Even though they were rescued out of slavery from Egypt, even though they witnessed the ten plagues upon the Egyptians, even though they walked across the Red Sea on dry land, now that they're free, they say, you know, this really isn't living up to what I expected my quality of life to be. And so they complained. And we read about this in Numbers chapter 21, verse 5, where it says, And the people spoke against God and against Moses. And they said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. I don't know about you, but now that I'm a dad, that last part really hits home. Whenever the question is asked in my house, what's for dinner? It's always followed by, please not chicken, not again. If it's anything other than macaroni and hot dogs, then it's a battle at dinner time. And so I can relate. And so here the people are complaining to the Lord. And notice, they don't just say, oh yeah, this, this miraculous bread from heaven that shows up every morning, yeah, my soul loathes that worthless bread. They don't just say that, but they also say, why did you take us out of Egypt? They make it sound like it was a wonderful place. They make it sound like Egypt was a, flat, a land flowing with waterfalls and freedom and joy. They were slaves. And yet here the people are so upset with the Lord. They complain against him. And so because of their complaining against the Lord and of Moses, God send, sent judgment upon them. God sent snakes upon the people in the wilderness. And as the snakes started biting people, people started dying because of the snake bites. And then they're like, okay, Lord, you're right. You're God, not me. I'm sorry, forgive me. And so then God told Moses, hey, take a bronze serpent, make one out of bronze, and hang it up on a pole and stick it in the middle of camp. So that if anybody is bitten by a snake, all they have to do is look to that serpent on the pole and they won't die. To me, if I was there in the wilderness and I was bit by a snake and I'm starting to slowly die and waste away and my fellow Israelite comes up to me and he says, hey, good news, all you have to do is look at that snake on the pole and you won't die. I'd be like, you're crazy, man. I'm dying here. What are you talking about? It doesn't make sense. What I need is a doctor, right? Get me to Enlo right now. 
And yet, when God provides a way of salvation from his own judgment, from the snake bites for the people of Israel here, God doesn't give explanations. He doesn't say, let me explain to you the science of why this works. He just says, I provided a way for you to be saved. Look to me. And as the people would look to the snake on the pole, it wasn't the snake. It wasn't the pole. There was nothing fancy about that. But in their choice to look to the pole, it was them saying, okay, Lord, I'm looking to you. My eyes are off of me and myself. I'm looking to you, and I can't do anything for myself. But you can. You have, and you will. And it was their actions that made their faith genuine of trusting in the Lord. God doesn't call the people to understand. He just calls the people to obey, to listen. And that's how our salvation works. You see, God offers salvation for any and all who would believe in Him. Salvation from our sin, salvation from hell. And yet, Jesus doesn't call us to understand. You know, many would say, just believe in Jesus? That doesn't make any sense. In the world that I live in, you've got to work for a living, right? You've got to earn your way. And so it makes more sense to me that you just need to work really hard, do more good works than bad works, and then maybe with believing in Jesus, you'll get there. Jesus says, no, you must be born again. Otherwise, you'll never make it. You just simply have to look to me and be saved. In the midst of where you are, in the midst of you dying of the snake bite, in the midst of you struggling in your sin, feeling in bondage, feeling like your life can never change, Jesus does not say, if you could fix that, then you could come to me. No, that's why Jesus came. Because we couldn't fix that. And so Jesus came down and he says, just look to me. And that's what Jesus is going to say now. Look back at verse 14 and see how he ties this in to his death on the cross. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. According to this verse, God's love is for everyone, the whole world. According to this verse, God gave his only son, and by doing so, he proves his love. Right? Our God is not a God who stays up in heaven and says, I love you. Take my word for it. I'm God. But he comes down and he proves his love by being born a man and living among us and taking that death upon the cross. God's purpose for you and for me is to live forever with him in heaven. But he won't force that on us. He gives us that choice. But our side of the deal is simply to believe in Jesus, and that is the gospel. That is the good news. But to understand the good news, for it to really be good news, we have to understand the bad news. The bad news we read about in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It says, For all have sinned and fall short, of the glory of God. You might say, well, I'm not, a, I'm not Hitler, right? He's always the go-to, right? I'm not Hitler, so I'm doing pretty good. 
And yet this verse makes it clear. No, it doesn't matter if you're better than him or better than her. What matters is we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short of perfection. And therefore we're all guilty. And that's what Romans 6.23 goes on to tell us. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. What we earn because of our sin is death. And not just physical death, but spiritual death. The second death. Eternity in hell. That's what we earn because of our sin. That's the bad news. That's the horrible news. But Romans chapter 6, verse 23 doesn't end there. It keeps going. And it says, But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just like a patient will not go to the hospital until they recognize and admit, Okay, I'm sick. I need help. So too... We cannot receive God's gift of salvation until we first realize we're sick, we're sinners, and we deserve judgment. Only then, understanding the bad news, can we then receive the good news, putting our faith and trust in Jesus. I want to remind you not to ever doubt God's love for you, we look through Scripture and we see so many examples in the Old and New Testament of people who they come to a place in life and they're like, Lord, I don't know. This is not what I was expecting. And yet we have to remember His promise is eternal life. That is the hope that we have. He blesses us with many things during our earthly life. But that's not what Christianity is all about. That's not what Jesus came to do. And there's, there's days, there's seasons where we go through suffering. But don't doubt God's love for you. He proved it on the cross. But I warn you, don't go so far as to say, well, God's love is so great. Surely hell's not a real place. Surely he really wouldn't send anybody there and do so forever. Well, that can't be true because God is love, right? And there are so many in the world who have that type of an understanding. They recognize God is love. But then they take that and they reinterpret and they cross out parts of Scripture. We can't do that. God is love. He does love us. He proved it on the cross. But hell is a real place. And it really is torment. And it really is forever. And there are real people who will go there. But it's not because they sinned too much because they didn't believe in Jesus. We all have two options. We can never put our trust in Jesus and then pay for our own sin in hell, or we can put our trust in Jesus and he stamps us, paid in full, our sins paid for. Look with me at verse 17. Jesus continues speaking here and Jesus says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus didn't come to bring judgment. He came to bring salvation. Verse 18, Jesus says, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You see, that is the key, believing in God or not. You don't go to hell because you've sinned too often, you don't go to hell because your sins were too wicked. You don't go to hell because, oh, you did that sin? Oh, I'm sorry, too late. No, 
The only unforgivable sin is the sin of not believing in Jesus. It's the sin of not reaching out by faith and taking in the gift of salvation. As Jesus already said, we must be born again. And to be born again means we put our faith in Jesus. It has nothing to do with our good works or how many sins we've committed. Again, verse 18, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this, verse 19, is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. I don't know about you, but my house never stays clean for very long. It's far easier just to turn the lights off, and then it all goes away. right? It looks great, especially in the middle of the night. Turn the lights off, and I don't see a thing wrong. And yet, you turn the lights on, and that's when the hard work begins. You're like, oh, I thought we did this yesterday. <laughs> Time to clean up again. And that's life, right? And that's what Jesus is talking about. He says, a person's life may seem pretty clean until the light, Jesus, shines on their life. And all of a sudden, the dirt and the grime is exposed. You know, again, when we compare our lives to each other, we might say, boy, I'm doing pretty good. I'm not like Hitler. And yet, when Jesus shines on our life, shines on our heart, it reveals what's there. It reveals the imperfection. It reveals the breaking of his law that is there. That's called sin. If you're anything like me, you don't like your choices to be called sin. You don't like your desires to be called sin. And yet, it's, it's more comfortable and easier just to say, no thanks Jesus, you stay over there, keep your light with you. And I'm going to stay here in my darkness where it looks pretty good. Feels pretty good too. And I enjoy it. And yet apart from Jesus, apart from the light, we'll spend eternity apart from the Lord in hell. We can't be born again without Jesus. And so for many people, they look at their life and they say, no, keep the lights off. I, I feel pretty good about myself. And it's because they love their sin that they're wanting to live in. For other people, the darkness looks different. It's not so much these sins that they love to hold on to. It's simply the sin of, I want to be my own God. I want to be in control of my life. I don't want anybody telling me how to live, whether it's a person or it's God or it's the government. Don't you tell me how to live my life, right? And that's the darkness that many people live in. And Jesus says, for men loved the darkness. That's why they wouldn't come to the light. You see, it's embarrassing calling our choices a sin. It's humbling to surrender to God's authority. Humbling to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to let you be God. I'm not going to try to be God for me anymore. I'm not going to do what I want to do, but I'm going to live 
the way you want me to. It's humbling. And yet, doing so, going through that embarrassment of saying, yeah, I am a sinner. Going through the humility of saying, okay, Lord, it's not about me, it's about you. That allows us to come to the light, to Jesus. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Have you been born again? I'm not asking how long you've been coming to church, how many times you've read your Bible. I'm not asking who you voted for. I'm asking, have you been born again? Have you put your faith in Jesus? Are you trusting that the day that you die, you're going to be standing in the presence of the Lord because of his sacrifice on the cross for you, because of his resurrection? If you've done that, if you've put your faith in Jesus, then you are born again. You are spiritually alive. You've been born twice. And no matter what happens to you on this earth, you'll be there in the presence of the Lord. And that's what Nicodemus recognized. After this evening or night conversation with Jesus, Nicodemus had a lot to think about. But he saw the miracles and he said, I got to know more. And he talked with Jesus and Jesus said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus said, I don't quite get it. I've been living my whole life trying to live up to these works to please the Lord. And yet Nicodemus, he got it. And as we read about later, Jesus' crucifixion, Nicodemus, the Pharisee, was one who came to prepare Jesus' body for burial. He was the one that purchased the hundred pounds of, of stuff, smelly stuff, to put around the body and prepare it for the burial. And in doing so, Nicodemus is showing us that he doesn't care about his title anymore. He doesn't care about his role as a ruler of the Jews. He doesn't care about what other people think about him. He cares about being born again. He cares about his relationship with Jesus. And Nicodemus is going to be in heaven when we get there because he recognized that it wasn't about his works. It was about Jesus' work. It wasn't about how good Nicodemus was. It was about how good God is that he would give eternal life to any and all who would believe in him. And so we close with this reminder. Jesus has fulfilled the promise that we read in Ezekiel 36. The moment you put your faith in him, God takes out that heart of stone, the spiritually dead heart, and God puts in a heart of flesh. He gives us a new heart. The regeneration of us makes us into a new creation. Let's praise him for who he is and what he has done. And if you haven't yet, put your faith in Jesus. Because right now you're a walking dead man, walking dead woman. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for your love. We are so thankful that your love has no limits Lord, your word does not say, for God so loved the world that tried really hard, or so loved the world that worked to know the truth. Lord, you just love the world. 
And Lord, your sacrifice on the cross was so complete and so perfect that, Lord, you paid for any and all sin in the entire world. So now there's only one left. It's the sin of not believing in you. And Lord, if there's any here today, any listening in online that have not yet believed in you, God, I pray that right now they would look to you, not as a great teacher, not as a miracle worker, not as a prophet, but Lord, they would look to you as their Savior, as their Lord. And God, may they believe in you. And Lord, we thank you for your work of making us born again bringing us spiritually to life. And Lord, we look forward to being in your presence one day, seeing you face to face. Lord, we love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and stand with me. Let's close and worship the Lord together.